Well, good morning. I'm Camper Monday, Associate Pastor, and I too would like to welcome those of you who are visiting. Uh, we're glad to have guests with us, glad you uh, chose to worship with us this morning. And today we finish our, our two-part, two-week uh, mini-series in Philippians, uh, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And since we're only having two weeks in it, uh, I want to give us a little bit of an, an overview before we uh, jump into our specific uh, passage for the day, but mainly highlighting some themes. Uh, because Throughout his letter, uh, the Apostle Paul has emphasized several themes, including partnership in the gospel, unity, uh, unity through humility, which we looked at uh, in particular last week, uh, unity through humility, generosity, sacrifice, and love. Uh, also an emphasis on Jesus as the only source of true joy, of real life. And then also the coming great day. That day when Jesus returns to make all things right. Uh, and so, today, we'll come to the end of Paul's letter. And our text is Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 11 through 13. It's found on page 982 if you're using the Pew Bible. Let me pray for us before we hear God's word. Lord... We come to you, you who speak life, you who have spoken, and you who by the power of your spirit uh, continue to speak the truth of your gospel into our hearts. We pray that you would do that once again, uh, not only that our hearts would hear, but that our lives would continually be transformed by your grace. And so now we ask that you would open your word to us. And us to your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And though in our adult ed class we're, we're going through the entirety of Paul's letter uh, to the Philippians, uh, given that we're only uh, two weeks for our sermon series, and given that our text this morning is only three verses, I'm going to read a little bit more around that to give us a little bit uh, uh, more of the larger context. So our verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, but I'm going to back up uh, and begin reading uh, at verse 4 of chapter 4. So now hear the word of God from Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low, 
and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. Well, anytime I come to the book of Philippians, I have to remind myself, because it's so easy to forget, that Paul is actually in prison. Uh, the, the letter is so full of hope and joy that I've got to remind myself Paul is a prisoner, uh, guarded by Roman soldiers 24-7, in fact, possibly awaiting a death sentence for proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And yet, again and again, coming back to a letter that is so full of joy and also full of gratitude in this particular part of the letter. And at the heart of this thanksgiving expressed to the Philippians is Paul's heart of gratitude toward God. Again, here our verses, uh, these three verses, uh, verses 11 to 13. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I have learned to be content. Have you learned to be content? Are you content? And maybe you feel content this moment, but are you content in any and every circumstance? We've got an honest person here. I heard a no. <laughs> because, come on, how can you be content in the midst of a broken world? How can you be content when you face uncertainty? When you face struggles, disappointments, hurts, frustrations? When your life seems to be falling apart? When you are always under pressure to excel, to perform, to get ahead, to succeed? How can you be content when you've lost your job or you think you might? When your bank account is moving closer to empty? When your relationships are so full of conflict and confusion? Maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe you desire to be married and you're not. Maybe your children are making all the wrong choices. Maybe you want to have children, but you're not able to. How can you be content when your spouse, parent, child, friend has died or is facing death? How can you be content when your body is ravaged by cancer or some other disease? Is contentment even possible? And if so, how? Well, in light of these questions, the Apostle Paul invites us to consider two additional questions. First, what is true contentment? And second, how do we become truly content? What is, what, what, what is it actually? What is true contentment? And then also, how do we become truly content? 
So let's take a look at that first question. What is true contentment? Well, I reached for my Merriam-Webster's dictionary. There's the answer. Sums up our common cultural understanding or misunderstanding this way. Contentment is being satisfied with one's possessions, status, or situation. In other words, contentment is defined by our world is being satisfied with what you have, with where you stand in comparison to others, or what your station in life is. Now, if we look at contentment this way, there, there are really two basic views of this satisfaction, uh, two ends of a spectrum. There's, there's the minimalist view, and there's the materialist view. Now, before I was a, a preacher, I was a, a snow ski instructor in Colorado. Uh, and when I was a, a ski instructor out there, I ran into both types of people, both extremes. So first, the, the minimal, minimalist view, which says less is better. If I don't have much, then I won't have much to worry about, and so I'll be content. I think of Steve. I, I met Steve on the, on the ski slopes. Uh, Steve, I found out, lived in a snow cave. Uh, when it was not winter, he had a wooden shack uh, that he retired to. Uh, he owned almost nothing. He hitchhiked whenever, hitchhiked whenever he needed to get somewhere. Steve was the minimalist. Now, I realize extreme view, a great guy. I loved hanging out with him. But many of the people that I ran into in our, our little mountain community, they wanted to strip themselves of just about everything in order to find contentment. But conversation after conversation after conversation, in talking with them, I found that they could never quite attain it. So then the other extreme, the materialist view, which says more is better. If I have more, then I'll have what I need when I need it. So I'll be content. I remember a day I got to ski with John. Now John was the owner and president and CEO of a billion-dollar company. Yes, you heard, a billion-dollar company. Beautiful ski home on the side of the mountain, five or six other homes scattered throughout the world. And I remember, in particular, a conversation I had with his wife. I said, I said tell me a little bit about John. And she said, you know what he wants more than anything? He wants more money and more power. That's what he's after, more money and more power. Now, again, an extreme example, I know. But here was a highly successful businessman in the eyes of the world who wanted to gain as much as possible in order to be content. But even with millions upon millions of dollars, he couldn't quite attain contentment. You see, the problem with both of these views is that they seek contentment based on circumstance. They seek contentment based on circumstance, either how much or how little you have. And here in our text, we see that Paul has known what it is to have almost nothing and face hunger, what it is to have just about everything while facing plenty. And in both circumstances, Paul says that he has known what it is to be content. Not because of how much or how little he had, but because of who he had. 
or rather who had him. So true contentment must be something else. It must be something other than our common cultural misunderstanding that, it, that it's rooted in being satisfied with one's circumstance. So what is it? What is true contentment? Well, a few things that true contentment is not before we begin to look a little bit closer at what it is. Because if, if you're like me, sometimes talking about contentment is just a difficult thing. Because I can be content one moment and then the next moment be undone and completely discontent. True contentment is not denying suffering or pain or disappointment. That's a stoic view of contentment which Paul attacks. Paul admits his struggles. He doesn't deny them. True contentment is not liking everything going on in your life. Paul doesn't like being in prison any more than you or I would like it. In fact, he speaks of longing to be freed so that he might go visit those that he loves so deeply. True contentment is not settling for less than the way things ought to be. Paul states that he presses on. He presses on to grow in faith, to grow in faithfulness. He works toward making wrong things right. Contentment doesn't have anything to do with complacency or passivity. So, true contentment is not denying pain. It's not liking everything going on in your life. It's not settling for less than how things ought to be. So, back to the question before us. What then is true contentment? Paul says, I have learned to be content. I have learned the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I have learned to be content. One of, the things that, one of the things that's great about the Apostle Paul is he can take a word from his culture and then he can view it through the lens of the gospel and totally transform it for his readers. Uh, it's important to note that the word here used for content, the word translated content, is a term used regularly in Greek philosophy in his day. And it expresses the ultimate goal of Stoicism, which is being self-sufficient. This virtue of independence was viewed as the highest of personal attainments because it emphasized freedom from need and thus the absence of weakness. And think about it for a moment. If I have no need and I have no weakness then I really don't need you, and ultimately isn't my goal, I really don't need God either. And yet, to be honest, that sounds a lot like the way I often view contentment. The way I often pray, Lord, would you please give me this? And really the subtext is, because if I have it, then I'm not going to have to trust you to provide for me tomorrow. Well, the Apostle Paul takes this word and he transforms it through the gospel. He takes this word content and expresses the ultimate purpose of the Christian, which is being Christ-sufficient. This virtue is one of dependence. Dependence on Jesus for all things. Paul emphasizes the freedom to be needy and acknowledges the reality of our weakness. Again, I have learned to be content. 
I have learned the secret. I can do all things through him, through him who strengthens me. Paul is saying that true contentment is not self-sufficiency, but Christ-sufficiency. Well, when I was a kid growing up in Georgia, one of my favorite things to do, I grew up about an hour outside of Atlanta, and I love to go to, to Six Flags. Six Flags over Georgia and the, just south of Atlanta, and I, I loved to ride the bumper cars. Any other bumper car, folks that like bumper cars? They're especially great if you have, you know, sibling rivalry, because for once you can get behind the wheel and just whack the, you know, out of your brother, sister, and your parents don't get on to you. But there were the moments in the bumper car that I'm, you know, bumping my friends or whoever I'm with. But I began to think how great it would be if I could just jump my bumper car off the track and just ride around Six Flags in my bumper car. You know, that would eliminate all the walking for, for a little kid. I could just drive from one ride to the next to the next. I wanted my bumper car to be self-sufficient. But my bumper car wasn't created for that. I might be able to fool myself for a moment because I remember very well at Six Flags where the bumper cars were and there was a hill. Sure, I might be able to glide down that hill until I began to hit my first uphill battle. I realized that my bumper car was dependent. Now bear with me, this is cheesy. My bumper car was dependent on a source from above. Now it's cheesy and you laugh, but here's the truth. You are a bumper car. You are, plain and simple. You, you want to be independent, but we are to be dependent on the source from above. We're to be Christ-sufficient, not self-sufficient. You see, true contentment is not a position of independence, but rather a posture of deep dependence. Deep, abiding dependence in Jesus, rooted in him like a tree planted by streams of living water. Dr. Richard Kaufman of Westminster Theological Seminary says it this way, true contentment is being confident that you have all that you need for whatever you are facing. True contentment is being confident that you have all that you need for whatever you are facing. It is being confident that through Jesus, we are given what we need when we need it. Not a moment too soon, not a moment too late. As I was thinking through this passage this week with, uh, with Heather, my, my wife, she reminded me of when we were in college and we heard this beautiful truth put this way by some of our African-American brothers and sisters. God is never late. God is never early. God is always on time. We serve an on-time kind of God. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. Thank you. Okay. So that's a little bit about what true contentment is. Now that we've got a little bit better understanding of what it is, Let's turn to that second question uh, that Paul invites us to consider. How? How do we become truly content? 
Now, I am not speaking as someone who has arrived here. I haven't figured it all out. I'm speaking as one who is still in process, still growing, still growing and learning what it's all about to be content. Like Paul, it's not that I have already obtained this, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So how do we become truly content? Well, first, first and foremost, we need to repent. We need to repent of our self-sufficient tendencies because we all have them. Several years ago when I was a campus minister down in North Carolina, uh, I remember we we had a a staff meeting one Friday morning, uh, and our, our staff team divided up to go on a prayer walk, and uh, I was, was paired up with a, another campus minister, Stephanie. Stephanie is actually a William & Mary grad. And as we began our walk, she said, so, so how are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm doing fine. What about you? Well, she didn't believe me, so she pressed on a little bit more and said, I, I think there's something more going on. How, how could I pray for you? And I said, well, you know, Stephanie, I've, I've really been praying recently that God would make me more competent. That, that I'd be a more competent husband, a more competent friend, a more competent minister of the gospel. That's really what I'd like. And I'll never forget, Stephanie looked at me and she said, well, Camper, what if God doesn't want to answer that prayer? Because if he did, then you wouldn't have to depend on him. And I remember she took me to 2 Corinthians 3, and I, and I, and I remember reading that it is not that I am sufficient in and of myself, but my sufficiency comes from Christ. And as we repent of our self-sufficient tendencies, we begin to learn Christ-sufficient dependency. Again, how, how do we become truly content? Well, second, we need to recognize that Christ-sufficient dependency is learned. It's learned. Plain and simple. We don't like the process of learning. We're the give it to me here and now culture, instant gratification. I think that's why years ago we all liked the matrix because we just wanted to download what we needed for life. Uh, Verses 11 and 12, Paul speaks to it. I have learned to be content. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. True contentment is not a, a secret that's discovered under a rock. You pick up the rock and there it is. You pick it up. You put it in your pocket. Got it. It's a secret that's learned. It's learned over time. We all know that learning is a process. Learning is a continual process. It has its ups. It has its downs. Often feels like that two steps forward, one step back. Uh, I think about the children that were up here just a little while ago. They learned Psalm 100. It was beautiful. Now, I guarantee those kids did not get it down pat the first time they tried it. And I also know Ruth, who's their teacher well enough, to know that Ruth, as soon as they stumbled and fell over the words, she didn't berate them. She loved them. She encouraged them, just like a parent with their child learning to walk, taking those first steps, stumbling and falling. The parent doesn't berate the child, but picks the child up celebrates the child, encourages the child, helps the child learn to walk. Friends, we are still learning to walk. 
we are still learning contentment. How do we become truly content? Well, third and finally, we trust. We trust Jesus. We trust him. As, As one theologian puts it, the apostle had learned to be content because he had learned to trust. And we learn to trust Jesus as we get to know him, as we spend time with him, as we look to him in prayer, as we encounter him in his word, as we walk with him within the context of other believers, the fellowship of believers side by side. Now, very important for us to remember in all this, and I want to make perfectly clear, is that contentment is actually not the goal. Okay? Contentment is actually not the goal. Knowing Jesus is the goal. Knowing Jesus. Contentment is the fruit of knowing Jesus. The fruit of faith in Him. As we grow in true contentment, with Paul, we'll grow in the understanding, we'll grow in understanding the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. Again, true contentment is being confident that you have all that you need for whatever you are facing. I think of Corey Ten Boom. Uh, Many of you will be familiar uh, with her. A Dutch woman uh, helped hide Jews in World War II, was captured by the Nazis and served time in concentration camps. Probably best known for her book, The Hiding Place. I'm sure some of you have read it. And and if you have, you may remember this story. It's a story that she tells, she recounts a conversation that she had with her father when she was a little girl. And for the first time, was facing the reality of loss. The reality of a a truly broken world, the reality of death. And this is how she remembers that conversation. Her father asks her, Corey, when you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you your train ticket? Why, just before we get on the train, Daddy, she replied. Exactly, said her father. And our wise and loving Heavenly Father knows when we're going to need things too. When the time comes that some of us will have to suffer or die, you will look into your heart and find the strength you need just in time. I can face all things through him who strengthens me. True contentment is being confident that you have all that you need for whatever, for whatever you are facing. Again, Paul says, I have learned to be content. I have learned the secret. I can face all things through him who strengthens me. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what you are facing today. But what I do know is that you can face all things through him who strengthens you. You can face all things through him who began a good work in you. 
you can face all things through him who will bring that beautiful work to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And with the Apostle Paul, I am confident of this. Let's pray.